Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right. Good morning. Welcome to City Church. My name is Maddie. Thank you all so much for being here with us today. I am a volunteer staff member here at City Church, which means I do a lot of work and get paid in coffee and prayers. It's great. Um, For real though, I love getting to be a part of this church, this community. I am beyond grateful for what I get to do here and just to be a part of what God is doing in Boulder. We're in the middle of a series right now called The Good Book, doing a deep dive into the Bible, what it is, why it matters, is it trustworthy, is it true, where did it come from, addressing the hard questions, and where we've landed in the definition that we've been using of the Bible throughout this series is that it is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. It's beautiful, it's gut-wrenching, it makes me feel joy and disgust, it provides clarity and guidance, but probably more often than not leaves me with more questions than I started with. It is the good book. The last several weeks, we've been addressing the problem that we, the West, have with the Bible, both from the secular perspective as well as the Bible-believing Christian, talking about how we, as followers of Jesus as a whole, are not good at reading the Bible. And the goal of this series from the beginning has been to encourage and inspire and challenge one another to take this book seriously as a way to be formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. So my hope for the rest of our time today is to begin to answer the question, what is the Bible for? What is it supposed to do in us and for our lives? And I say begin because 40 minutes is not enough time to flesh this idea out completely. Um, And Drake has done an incredible job uh, in incorporating these topics over the last several weeks, but I am excited to continue the conversation and just to share some of what God has been teaching me in this season. And wherever you're walking in today on your spiritual journey, you are safe, loved, and welcome here. If you don't read the Bible, have never read it, you've tried to read it, um, you're skeptical of it, you've walked away just confused, or you read it every day um, and have been reading it for decades, my hope is that today's conversation will be helpful, encouraging, and challenging. It has been for me, and I'm expected, uh, expectant for what God wants to do today. So with that, I'm going to pray for us really quick, just for the rest of our time this morning, and then we'll get into it. So Father, just want to say thank you um, for this church, for these people, and this incredible community that you are building. I lift up the rest of our time today to you, to do what you want to do, what only you can do. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here and working. I pray that you simply help us to posture our hearts and minds to receive what you have for us today. You know where each one of us is walking in and what we need. So thank you that you desire to meet us where we are. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, my relationship with the Bible. I was introduced to it when I was 15 years old. I knew it existed, but I did not open it uh, expecting to receive anything from it until 15. And I don't know how or why, but I absolutely adopted the idea early on that this was a book of instructions to be followed. 
And naturally, that made me a very judgmental person, specifically toward my Christian friends when they were doing something they shouldn't do or not doing something they should do. I took it upon myself to keep them in check and probably more than anything because internally I was dealing with a lot of guilt and shame. That's the result when you think that a relationship with God is transactional. Do what I tell you to do and I'll make your life good. But by the grace of God and this book, ironically, I learned how wrong and twisted of an idea that was. And so the turning point for me when I was able to move away from reading this library of writings as honestly condemnation was when I realized, or when Jesus revealed to me, that I was fully seen, fully known, and fully loved by God, that Jesus died for me and was inviting me into a relationship with himself to be with him before anything else and an invitation to learn from him through these pages and in that way become like him. Week one, Drake introduced this idea that we, followers of Jesus, believe in the Bible because we believe in Jesus, not the other way around. And so then, as followers of Jesus, how should we read the Bible? And I love this quote from John Mark Comer. I think it sums it up well, and we'll come back to this throughout our time today, is that we read the Bible as a map to the life that Jesus has to offer. Map to the life that Jesus has to offer. Now, you can read the Bible and not be a Christian. Heck, you can know the Bible really well and not be a follower of Jesus. But when we, was, we say we believe in the Bible because we believe in Jesus, it's because I didn't come to believe in Jesus because of this book. God did that in my heart in his way and timing because he knows who I am and what I needed. And then I was able to read this as truth. These words were no longer just words on a page. They were God's words, words that lead to life and hope. So with that, our main passage of scripture this morning is going to be out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, the purpose of the Bible is to hear the voice, truth, love, and correction of Jesus. And what does that tell us? That all scripture, all is from God, and that its purpose, its design for our lives is, yes, to correct and rebuke. There is a place for that. A map to the good life does include revealing what we are and are not to do, but what is it also? It teaches us and trains us so that we, followers of Jesus, servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It empowers us and leads us, shapes us for the life that Jesus has to offer for who he has made us to be. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room today, my simple hope for you is that you'll lean in and hear that God wants to speak to you. And I hope to provide some clarity around the purpose and God's desire for the role of the Bible in your life. But remember that Jesus wants to meet you where you are and that he wants you to know him before anything else. And this is all invitational. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18 and learning to love the Bible has been just that, learning to love it, and I'll explain more, but bottom line is because I learned to love and trust Jesus. With that, I wanna introduce two main ideas we're gonna focus on throughout the rest of our time today, just to have them at the front of your mind as we dig into what the Bible is supposed to do in us. So I'm curious, by show of hands, really quick, who here has read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear? Okay, 
some of us. It's like the top grossing book on habit formation of all time, very well known. It's not spiritual or religious at all, but for those of you that have not read it, it gets into the psychology of the power of habits. It's an incredible read, and I share that because as we're talking about how the Bible shapes us, it begins and ends with making reading the Bible a habit. And I want to start here because I will not be able to emphasize enough that the way we are shaped by this good book is making it a part of our daily lives. In addition to that, last year we spent a lot of time breaking down this paradigm for formation. We said that teaching, practice, and community all centered around the Holy Spirit is what transforms us, shapes us. Clear writes in his book that we are shaped, whether intentionally or not, by our environment, our community, and what? Our habits. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, that is true of you. We are little more than what we do, and God designed the Bible to be read not just for information, but for formation. The Bible is where we are taught, where these Sunday teachings come from. The Bible teaches us what practices to press into and what healthy community looks like, and absolutely the Bible is a place where we get to hear from the Holy Spirit. At the end of our prayer series um, a few months ago, Drake talked about hearing from God, hearing the voice of God, and it is absolutely true that God can and wants to speak to you, and more often than not, his voice is right here. So we'll come back to that paradigm, but for now, let's break down that passage together in 2 Timothy, starting with, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture. Really, God? That's already kind of a tough statement. New Testament, sure, I can get behind that. Even some of the stuff in there is challenging, but for the most part, I think most of us would agree that the New Testament is a joy to read, something I'm eager to open and dig into. The longer I've been following Jesus, the more I recognize my need for it because it is truth and light in a world full of lies and darkness, all encompassing, it is good. The Old Testament, on the other hand, so first of all, there's a reason why it is called the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Drake introduced this idea week one that we, as followers of Jesus, are under the New Covenant. If you missed any of the messages earlier on in this series, I highly recommend um, going back and giving those a listen. He did a great job of giving some clarity and insight into the role of the Old Testament in our lives today. So I admit that I did not have a desire to read the Old Testament until very recently. Even now, it can be challenging, to say the least. But a few months ago, when I knew we were stepping into a series on the Bible, I was immediately convicted that I've never actually read the whole thing. So I picked up my phone and started a read the Bible in a year plan. That was back in September. It's going well so far. Leviticus has been pretty rough, like, God, I'm sorry, I do not care what the specific instructions were on, how to sacrifice different kinds of grain. But the point is that if all scripture is God-breathed, I want to read it. I want to know. I want to learn from it from him. John Mark Homer was also a part of my inspiration to read through the Bible in a year. He said something in one of his messages that really stuck with me. If you haven't heard it said this way before, I want to share It went beyond just the statement that you can see Jesus on every page of the Bible. Anyone heard that before? I'm like, that's great, but I just read about incest and genocide, so can you please tell me where Jesus is on this page? What he said was that the Bible is a collection of stories, stories of people, broken people, just like you and me, and our job when we read these stories is to look for and learn from the way that God works through the brokenness of these people. 
to learn God's character, his grace with David when he committed adultery, that he used Moses in some incredible ways after he literally murdered someone. It's connecting to these characters. Even if you haven't done maybe exactly what they have done, you and I are broken, sinners saved by grace. And this library of writings, all of it, teaches us about the God we get to walk through this life with. Paul says in Romans chapter 15, for everything that was written in the past, talking about the Old Testament, was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And I say all that, and it's still hard to read some of the things in the Old Testament, even things that God did, but through reading it, this is what sticks with me and why the Old Testament is so drastically different from the New Testament is because Jesus changed everything. His life, death, and resurrection changed everything, period. When I read a story that's really challenging that I don't understand, I'm reminded Jesus changed everything, and he is why. Today, I'm invited to read this book and learn from him. I love this verse in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. I think it sums up this idea that through all the brokenness we see in the Old Testament, how we can see God's character and even relate to their stories. A character named Joseph is talking to his brothers who earlier tried to kill him, ended up selling him into slavery. They're reunited after many years. God has done a lot in that time, and Joseph is able to look his brothers in the eyes and say this, you intended to harm me but God intended it, everything that happened to him, for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, and that was God's specific call on Joseph's life. And don't we know, even now, that God has the incredible ability to use suffering for our good in his glory? He was doing it then, he's doing it now. If God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the God of the Old Testament is the God of Today, yes, we will struggle with the things that we read, but struggle with it. God wants to meet you there. I think the Old Testament reveals just as much about the goodness of God as it does the brokenness of people and the need that we had, still have, for Jesus, a Savior, the ultimate sacrifice for us to be made right with and know God, our creator, sustainer, provider, healer. These stories show the way that God works through our brokenness. Okay, back to our passage. We addressed that all scripture is God-breathed. Next thing Paul says is that it is useful for teaching us. What does it teach us? The Bible teaches us three things. Do we have that list? Sweet. So it teaches us who God is, duh, kind of makes sense, who we are, and who we are to each other. If you were around for the beginning of our last series, Teach Us to Pray, I gave a message on adoration, on offering adoration to God in prayer, how and why we do it, and the three things that a posture of adoration reminds us is who God is, who we are, and who we are to each other. And so what does that tell me? That reading the Bible in and of itself is a form of adoration to God, saying, Jesus, I choose to be with you right now, that I am here and I love you enough to spend time with you and learn from you. Now, there are so many examples that I could use for the times that reading the Bible has taught me something about God's character or about who he says that I am or instructions on how to love the people around me, times when God spoke to me through these words to both teach and remind me of 
truth. So I'll share the most recent example because this both reminded me about who my God is, who I am, and is an example of how God speaks through his word to us when we need it most. It was the week of our 24-7 prayer room here at City Church. How incredible was that, by the way? Oh my goodness, yeah, (laughs) seriously. Anyway, I was on my way here from home, wrestling with a lot of intrusive thoughts about myself, lies, and insecurities just in a really dark place. I sat in the parking lot and ugly cried for a little bit. You know, we all need that sometimes, maybe. Not? I don't know. I do. Anyway, I mustered up the willingness just to walk inside, and I opened up my Bible plan to whatever day that I was on to a passage in Romans chapter 9. It says this, verses 30 through 33. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? because they pursued it, not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So some quick background on me. Um, I have this pride issue of thinking that what Jesus did for me was not enough that I have to do more, be better, and when I start to feel like I'm failing, it looks like my mental breakdown in the car. And when I read this, in that moment, Jesus met me where I was with a passage of scripture from a billion years ago, not really, but a long time ago, through Paul's writings, God essentially saying you will never attain that righteousness that you're chasing after with works, because you've already obtained it through faith in Jesus. The one who believes in him, you, will never be put to shame. And I read this verse, verse 33, for a long time to say that God put a stone in Zion. This is metaphorical, so that people would stumble. I was always very confused reading this verse. But this day, he revealed that that stone was Jesus. And we stumble when we think we need to earn God's love. And so he said to me that day, you've already got it. You can't earn or deserve it. That's what makes Jesus who he is. And that's what we have the chance to receive. And even more so each time we open this book to hear from God who knows what we need, when we need it, who is able to teach us through these words. And so as we're talking about how the Bible shapes us and looking at that paradigm of formation from earlier, teaching plays a vital role in who we become when we get to know who God is, who we are because of who he says that we are and who we are to each other, learning how to love others and see them the way God does as we learn from him. And now, to address those not as fun words in this passage, the Bible is useful for teaching, that is true, but it is also useful for rebuking and correcting. Now, before I say anything else about that, I want to remind you of something that Drake said week one of this series, that if you are not a follower of Jesus, you have zero obligation to follow the commands in this book. To a certain extent, some of them are just socially accepted as things you don't do, like murder and stuff, but if you are not a follower of Jesus, you are not expected to act like it. So with that, I want to paint a little picture for you to helpfully uh, just help you really understand that Jesus has to come first, not The Bible, we are invited into a relationship with him and then invited to read and learn from this library of writings. 
Not that you can't read it if you don't want to, but anyway, if you join the team here at City Church during growth track, you probably received a few books from us and a welcome letter from our staff. You made a commitment, a decision, and we gave you resources and information welcoming you to the team, who we are and what you're invited into, some books specifically on how to be an emotionally healthy follower of Jesus. And bear with me because this is the best comparison I have. It's so not the same thing at all, but here you go anyway. The Bible is what Jesus puts into our hands when we make the decision to believe in and follow him. It's so much more spiritual and powerful than that, but I thought that might paint a decent picture. So the purpose of being corrected from the Bible comes after you decide to give your life to Jesus. Does that all make sense? Cool, I just wanna be super clear on that. And the primary reason is because God cares so much more about establishing a relationship with you and from that space wants to lead you into what is right and best for you and your life and away from the things that hurt you and the people around you. That's it. So in Romans chapter two, verse four, Paul says that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Not the Bible, not this list of rules, God's kindness. When we know him, we are able to recognize that his correction is always from a place of deep love and kindness toward us, all for the purpose, remember, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But it's also okay to wrestle with what the Bible has to say. I don't think we're expected to love everything or even understand everything that this book has to say about the way we should live. What it all comes down to is trust. Can we say, Jesus, I trust you, so I trust that this is the best thing for me? And I'm not saying that that's easy either. There are several verses in the Bible that say things like, you will grow in wisdom and understanding as you grow to trust Jesus more and more. It's a process. Trust does have to be earned. The incredible news about Jesus is that he is trustworthy. But you have to discover that. And there's so much more that I could say about that before another day. So lastly from our passage, the Bible is useful for training us in righteousness. The passion translation of this verse is that the Bible gives us the strength to take the right direction and leads us deeper into the path of godliness. So essentially, this is putting into practice all that Jesus tells us to do so that we might look more like him and do the things that he did and even greater works. Looking back at our paradigm of formation, this is the practice piece of the puzzle, pressing into the practices of Jesus by the strength and leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is so much more than the do's and don'ts. We are invited to be used by God in some major ways, not because of how impressive we are, but because of how good God is. I can't tell you how many times that God has used me to do something in someone's life I first could never do on my own. And second, it seems like it happens when I'm least expecting it, meaning that it's not something I really thought through or tried that hard for. That's because becoming like Jesus is not about trying really hard to be good and always do the right thing. That's missing the whole point. That's me stumbling when I'm trying to do everything in my own strength. It's about training, making these practices habits and letting the Holy Spirit work in and through us. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
The word discipline here can be translated as practice. In Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about this exact thing. He says any habit that does not have an immediate positive effect or feeling is harder, but the payoff in the long run is so much better. The Passion Translation of this verse says that disciplines produce a transformation of character. It starts with reading the Bible making that our first and foremost practice as followers of Jesus, but as we read it and learn from it to start doing what Jesus did and make his habits our habits and watch God do the rest. I believe there's absolutely a spiritual power to habits. God made us to be formed by what we give our time, attention, and effort to. God can use each time you open the Bible, but to make this part of who we are, we can't just come to it when We feel like it because as much as we love Jesus, loving the Bible is like an acquired taste, which really just means you power through something long enough to convince yourself that you enjoy it. While we should delight in the Bible, it is okay that some of what you read in here leaves you with more questions than you started with. Just don't stay there. Ask the questions. Dig in. Let God work. Now, I'm a bit of a TV fanatic, which is Putting it mildly, you can ask my husband, Seth. I have the same five TV shows that I watch on rotation constantly. I fought it for a long time, but I am embracing that that is just going to be a part of who I am, and I just don't care. They make me laugh. So you know what's bad, too, when throughout your day things happen and it reminds you of a scene in a TV show, and I'll totally ask people, too, like, have you seen this show? You know that one part of that one episode when that one character says that thing? Yeah, that's pretty much my life. So anyway, watching these shows over and over again, I can tell you every single time I rewatch them, I notice things I didn't notice before. And you know where I'm going with this. Every single time we read the Bible, even if we're reading the book of John for the third, fourth, fifth, fifteenth time without a doubt, you will notice things you didn't the last time. Except in this case, that's the gentle voice of God pointing out things to you in this season of life that might speak more to you and what you're facing than it did the last time. In Pete Gregg's book, How to Hear God, he shares the results from a survey of 40,000 people from the ages of 8 to 80 that show that reading the Bible regularly does have a profound effect on both mental health and spiritual growth but only if it is done at least four times a week. It says that those who read it one to two times a week experience an insignificant benefit. Ouch. Those who read it three times a week showed a slight improvement, and those who read it four or more times a week showed a dramatic uplift in their mental health and spiritual growth. So there you go. You're off the hook for the other three days a week. Just kidding, obviously. Anyway, those people were 30% less likely to feel lonely, 32% less prone to anger, 60% less likely to feel stuck in their spiritual growth, and get this, 228% more likely to be active in sharing their faith. Some of you just thought, I better only read that thing three times a week then, because I'm not sure about that. But what that tells me is that the more and more we press into this relationship, with Jesus, reading the Bible and praying, the more on fire we are for him. That also tells me that when we're feeling stuck and lacking passion or desire for Jesus, we've all been there. We're not just supposed to wait around for that spark to come back or for something to happen to us, but Jesus says you can find it, find me right here. So how do we do that? 
There are some practical tools to create habits. Atomic Habits is a great read to see what works for you and where to start. A tool we handed out at the beginning of this series is called Developing a God Time Plan. You're going to receive it again today on your way out. You make a commitment to a time and place each day, say 8 a.m. at your kitchen table with a cup of coffee, or if having to do anything in the morning makes you want to abandon your faith altogether, maybe it's 8 p.m. on your couch with some mood music in the background. It doesn't matter. The objective is consistency. Part of that plan is figuring out what you need with you, how to avoid distraction, what will you be reading, things like that. And I want to encourage you, I think it will encourage you, that there will be days where you read a chapter, a passage, a devotional, and that's all you did was read. And it was good, but that's all it was. It's just like working out. Now, I like to run because I'm a psychopath. Um, (laughs) I'm really just trying to run away from my problems, I think. Um, But some days I feel really good when I'm running, and other days I feel crummy. I just want to be back home. I want it to be over, and even by the end, I'm like, why do I do this to myself? But still, At the end of the day, every single run counts and makes me more fit than I was the day before. And the same goes for reading the Bible. You might not walk away every day with something new, some new encouragement, feeling better, feeling more like Jesus, but I promise you that every single time you do it, you open these pages expectantly, you are being shaped and changed into the image of Jesus. A few weeks ago, Michelle shared this devotional with me, and I wanted to share it here because it was so good, and talks about this exact thing. It's from Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. It says this, do not be discouraged by the difficulty of keeping your focus on me. This is from God's point of view. I know that your heart's desire is to be aware of my presence continually. This is a lofty goal. You aim toward it, but never fully achieve it in this life. Don't let feelings of failure weigh you down. Instead, try to see yourself as I See you, first of all, I am delighted by your deep desire to walk closely with me through your life. I notice the progress you have made since you first resolved to live in my presence. When you realize that your mind has wandered away from me, don't be alarmed or surprised. You live in a world that has been rigged to distract you. Each time you plow your way through the massive distractions to be with me, you achieve a victory. Rejoice in these tiny triumphs and they will increasingly light up your days. So as we're talking about making this a habit, remember God's grace with you. The whole point of reading the Bible is to be with Jesus. Drake says it all the time, the best part about following Jesus is Jesus. It's a relationship. We show up to learn from him and be in his presence. So this is not just a rule to feel bad when you don't do it. Each time you open this book is a victory, so rejoice in the triumph. And what does this say? Each time you do, it will increasingly light up your days. So I wanted to share and spend some time today on how the Bible has formed me, make sense for what we're talking about today. And as I was trying to think through that and starting to struggle with that question, Jesus, how do I look different because of you in reading your word? I realized that if we are formed by our habits, our environment, and our community. That means that we can choose who we spend our time with and what we do with our time, but we can't really will ourselves to change. So I have to think that the work that Jesus does to form us is not something that we strive for, definitely not something that we can control each aspect 
of. We put in the work of reading the Bible and praying, being with Jesus, but he does the shaping. So I can't stand here and tell you every single thing about me that Jesus did in me because I read the Bible. I do know that my life would not be the same, that I don't know where I'd be today if it weren't for him, that because of these teachings in this book and a desire in my heart to be like Jesus allows me to recognize the things in myself that I want to change, but that I also know that God's grace is right there waiting for me when I mess it up. Reading the Bible, being transformed by these stories and teachings is not about gaining more control and more knowledge. It's about learning how to give up control to him. There's a fine line, a balance between walking away from the Bible each time we read it with something else to do, and sometimes, maybe more often than not, just resting in these words, in God's promises. The Bible shapes me just as much into doing what Jesus did as it does into making me into a person who is full of peace, joy, and love for God and others. I think I've been uh, learning something about myself in this last season, that I have some deeply rooted issues with control, and with that comes this deeply rooted struggle with trusting Jesus, specifically, like I mentioned earlier, that he is enough that what he did for me was enough and I don't need to be constantly working to be good, that he will provide everything I could ever want and need and more, that he knows better than I do what I want and need and can actually give it to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Thank you, Jesus. So how has the Bible shaped me? First of all, it still is. Every single day, the rest of my life, I will be growing and learning. At the end of the day, we are called to love God and love people. I believe that because of this book, I have learned how to do that better. It has brought insight into who God is, that he is all good, all powerful. Believe it or not, reading the Old Testament makes what Jesus did all the more powerful and beautiful, learning that God did everything on purpose. It has taught me who I am, a beloved and cherished daughter created on purpose for a purpose and that I am broken, a sinner saved by grace, that I will never be enough on my own and that is okay. It has taught me how to love others, to see them the way that Jesus sees them, that it's not about what I can get from others but what I can give. I did need to learn that, I still do, because while I have the Holy Spirit, I also have a flesh that is working against me. It's complicated. Life is hard, I don't know all the answers, but what I do know when I'm unsure of everything else is that these words are true. Luke chapter nine, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Check this out, verses 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Um, I've read these verses for a long time to mean that it was my job, that he was asking me to try really hard to deny myself, reject the desires of my flesh, work, try hard, be better, choose what is right every time, and guess what? I fail a lot. Take up your cross daily, lose your life. Now, I've never died before, so I'm not totally sure, but dying does seem more like something that happens to us rather than something that we do. So when he says this, just Maybe, I'm still working it out, but maybe that's not something we can will ourselves to accomplish. 
Maybe this is about choosing to fix our lives on Jesus every day and letting him do the hard work. I think he's saying, choose me. Let me change you, shape you, form you. Remember, reading the Bible is not about gaining control over ourselves in our life, but learning how to let go, to surrender, saying, God, have your way. So with that, let's go back to that formation paradigm. Beautiful. So teaching, read the Bible, read, absorb, meditate, memorize, get these words ingrained into your heart and mind, and you will become what you consume. Surround yourself with other Bible-living Christians. Remember, we are formed by our community. And I say living, not believing, because as we know, you can believe the Bible and look nothing like Jesus. That also doesn't mean shun everyone in your life who's not a Christian. Just pay attention to the people who you allow to have influence in your life. And do what the Bible says, but remember it is a fine balance and let these practices form you. We call ourselves followers of Jesus because reading this book is about following, not just knowing, formation, not just information. So open these pages expectantly for what God wants to reveal to you, teach you. Sometimes it might be a correction, but I am convinced that there is no better way to be taught what is right and what is wrong than the gentle, loving voice of God pointing you in the right direction. Um, I'll invite Daniel to come up and play. And uh, some next steps for you guys going into this week. If you've been coming around the last several weeks, I'm not introducing anything new to you today. The goal of this series from the beginning has been to get us more into the Bible, to make it a daily rhythm. Accountability in this is essential. So this week with your city group, share how it's been going. And if you need to, make a plan for how you're going to stick to it. Lean on each other. If you're not a part of a city group, start there. Let us help get you connected. If you've been struggling, start small. One passage or one chapter a day. Use the SOAPS tool. We'll be handing that out again today, too. Pick your scripture. Write down an observation, an application, a prayer through what you read. Pick a devotional to start reading. Just try different things to find what works best for you. There is no one way to do this. We all learn and are motivated in different ways. Memorize verses, that is what rewires the way that we think. The most famous verse on transformation, Romans 12, verse two. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How are we transformed? Reading the Bible. So how do we renew our mind, turn back to the truth on these pages? Memorize verses so that these words will be in you. And then what does Paul say? You will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I don't know about you, but I want to know what that is. So when you come to this book, this library, each time you open it, read it with ears to hear and an open heart, surrender, listen, posture your heart and mind to say, God, I am here to let you transform me. From John Mark Comer, we read the Bible to consciously cooperate with God in shaping us into the image of Jesus. That's it. These last four months of our series on prayer and now the Bible have essentially been a deep dive into the practice of silence and solitude, daily time in the Bible and prayer. It's being with Jesus and as we've been learning from that simple but incredible space, we are transformed into people that look more like him and are invited to do what he did and even greater works. It starts right here. 
read, meditate, pray, listen, allow him to do what only he can do. Now, I was cautious to suggest a book to you guys this morning because the goal of this series is to read the Bible, but this book, How to Hear God, from Pete Gregg has been the most helpful book actually in how to read the Bible. And that's because as I've been learning more and more through reading this book that the Bible is the primary way that God speaks to us. Pete Gregg talks about the various ways that we hear the voice of God in our lives, but he spends the whole first half of this book on the Bible. And that the more we read the Bible and read it with a posture that God can and wants to speak to us through it, the more we learn what God's voice sounds like and how to look out for it because these are literally his words. It addresses everything I wish we had time for today and then some. It's an incredible read. Highly recommend it. No matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, I think it is massively helpful. And guys, I can't say it enough. This is not just a book of rules. The Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts. There are commands that help us to live the life that Jesus has for us. But more than anything else, this book is a collection of stories that teach us how to relate to God, we, us, humanity, who we are, who God is, and how we are to exist in relationship with him. To be saved, to go to heaven, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. That is true, but the second you choose to say yes to him, you are invited into the abundant life. And this book is how we learn what that is, what that means, how to grasp it and live it out. I think the Bible has been most powerful for me in transforming the things that I believe about myself. This book has convinced me that I am loved and lovable, that I have a purpose, worth, value, beyond what I can do for others, but simply because of who I am, that I am someone worth dying for. And guess what? The same is true about you. Up here is a prison of insecurity and lies. This book is truth and confidence. If you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I hope you hear the invitation for you that you are invited into a relationship with Jesus today, that you can come exactly as you are and find freedom in him, unconditional love, and an invitation to learn from the one who lived a perfect life, died for you, and rose again so that you could know God personally, intimately, invited to read this good book as a map to the life that Jesus has to offer. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this good book, this library of writings, how you made it, what you created it for, to teach us who you are, to know more about your love for us, what you did and your character. Thank you that it gives us the strength to do what you did and to learn from your life, Jesus, what practices to press into and how to live in community with others. God, I pray for each and every person in the room today that we would leave this place and be eager to open these pages tomorrow. Help us to plow our way through the distractions and get back to your presence each day. Thank you for your grace with us, that you desire to speak to us for your gentle correction and guidance. Help us to show up to you this week expectantly with ears to hear and thank you that you promise that when we do, you are shaping us to look more like you. In Jesus' name.